listeners, welcome to one of three special episodes of Past Matters that I've put together for Christmas 2019. This episode was recorded at Number One London, a very cool address, aka Apsley House, which was the home of the first Duke of Wellington, yes, that famous one who beat Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo, and the current Duke of Wellington and his family still live there now. For the first time, this Grade 1 listed building is remaining open until the 22nd of December, and it is decorated for an 1840s-style Christmas, so you can go and experience the building, as Wellington may well have had it decorated for his Christmas celebrations. So I thought it was a very fitting location for one of my Christmas special episodes. Now, uh, this podcast is normally about those underrated items that may not get noticed straight away in a museum, gallery, or historic house. And Josephine Oxley, who has the fantastic job title of Keeper of the Wellington Collection, has chosen to talk about a pair of tall shares that are hiding in plain sight at Apsley House. However, don't exit this episode at the end of our conversation about the tall shares. If you keep listening beyond the Christmas music, I've added a bonus ending about something big and naked that is very much in plain sight at Apsley House. Merry Christmas! So, thank you for joining me today, Josephine. Um, tell me about this amazing building we're currently sat in. Well, uh, we're at Apsley House, um, which was the home of the first Duke of Wellington. It's a remarkable survival of an aristocratic townhouse. There were this whole area of London where we are now around Hyde Park used to be full of huge townhouses, and now literally we are the last one. And most importantly, we are the last one that survives with the family still living here. So although the house is open to the public five days a week, right up until Christmas, um, the house, part of the house is actually still lived in by the current Duke of Wellington, the ninth Duke of Wellington. So it makes it a very wonderful survival. It does definitely stand out on that roundabout by Absolutely. Park, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although some people do say when they're standing out that roundabout, which one is Apsley House? So, yeah. So oh. People can miss it. Yeah, people can miss it. <laughs> when people come here, what's what sort of, I mean there's um, lots of amazing things here but are there are there certain objects that they tend to go gravitate towards and what are they um they do a lot of people come here expecting it to be more like a military museum and then are a little bit surprised when they find that it's got a fantastic collection of paintings and decorative arts I think just because of its size, people gravitate towards the wonderful colossal statue of Napoleon by Antonio Canova. The bottom of, stands at the bottom of the staircase here, and it's definitely it's, can't miss it. You can't miss it, <laughs> and I think people are completely overwhelmed by it and amused by the fact that we have a giant naked Napoleon at the bottom of our stairs. Um, but I think also people love the portraits of the first Duke, of course, because mm-hmm. lots of people come here who are really interested in the first Duke and his career, and they want to find out more about his life here, because his life here was really after Waterloo. So, and you know, and he car- he lived here until he was 82. So there's a lot to say about Wellington after Waterloo, and people are very interested in how he lived, mm-hmm. what kind of things he had around him while he was here. Yeah, and I think they're they're quite blown away when they come in and they see his collection of paintings, they see the grandeur that he lived in. As far as paintings go, well, there's so many, but apart from the, the portraits of the first Duke, which lots of people do gravitate towards, um, probably one of our most famous paintings uh, is the fabulous uh, Water Cellar of Seville uh, by Diego Velázquez. 
and this painting hangs in the Waterloo Gallery here at Apsley House and it's a, a wonderful early Velasquez painted when he was about 19 or 20 years old painted in Seville um, before he moved to Madrid to become painter to the court and it's wonderful because it's so unassuming in so many ways it's not a grand scene it's it's not a saint it's not an aristocrat it's just a picture of a man on the street selling water a man in a ragged cloak um, serving a boy um, out of a lovely earthenware pitcher going to just pour some water into this uh, glass now that makes it sound quite boring <laughs> but actually it's one of the wonders of European art and one of the reasons why it is is because not only was Velasquez a very young man but it shows such technical ability he painted it to get more commissions the whole thing about this painting is it him showing off to people what he could do not just with the shadow and the light and the characters mm. but with the materials just everything about it but remarkably although it is one of our most popular paintings it's not a painting that invites you in in any way there's no eye contact nobody's looking out at you it's very introverted painting it's quite muted colors yes, as well and very muted colors um, there's a splash of white <laughs> on the on the sleeve of the man and the collar of the boy but the rest of it's quite dark but it's got a beautiful stillness about it and I think often people come in and they say is that the copy of the water cellar of Seville <laughs> no this is the original this is the original <laughs> yes and you know I can see what you're saying about the technical I mean the, the curve of the the urns yeah, of water yeah absolutely beautifully done so technically beautiful but just also there's a mm. great dignity and stillness about it. it you know painted by someone so young which is really remarkable so you get quite a few visitors who are here yeah, yeah yeah well we've got a great collection of spanish paintings um because i don't know whether you know we've probably got one of the most exciting stories behind uh, any collection here in the uk uh, we have 83 paintings on display to the public that were part of the Spanish World Collection. Oh, wow. And what happened was uh, it during the early part of the 19th century, well, between 1807 and 1814, Joseph Bonaparte was on the throne of Spain, put there by his brother Napoleon in an attempt to conquer Spain. Um, the British came and fought alongside the Spanish armies, commanded by Wellington. And the very last major battle on Spanish soil was the Battle of Vitoria in 1813 and after that Joseph Bonaparte had to flee back over to France uh -huh. but what he left on the battlefield was this huge baggage train stuffed full of lots of looted wow. everything artworks <laughs> but lots of things that belonged to him as well a lot of his own personal items French gold but over 200 paintings that were taken from the Spanish World Collection and of course the Spanish World Collection was the best collection in Europe at the time. Mm. So he'd chosen some very nice works of art. And um, Wellington sent a little crack troop of his hussars uh, <laughs> to go and rescue these paintings. They rescued them. They weren't in frames like this. They were rolled up canvases in big mm. trunks. And then they were sent back to London for safekeeping. And after the Peninsula Wars were open, over, Wellington realized, and in fact, other people who he'd 
you know, started to show the paintings to realise that they were actually from the Spanish Royal Collection. So he offered them back to the Spanish king. Oh, that's very noble. Yep, who by that time had returned to Spain to regain his throne after the French were defeated. Um, and Ferd- Ferdinand VII, and eventually Ferdinand VII wrote to him, you know, via his envoy here, offering the paintings to Wellington and say, you've won them through honour, so they are yours. So that's wow. how we've ended up with this wonderful collection, four paintings by um, Belasquez, paintings by Titian, paintings by Bruegel, Ribera, Murillo. Um, this is why we've got such a, the basis <laughs> to that, to the Duke's collection oh is goodness. so important. So even though he was a military man, you don't necessarily associate military men with being necessarily cultivators of art and, no, and culture, but he don't. was. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he continued to commission and collect artworks throughout his life Um, but his main period of collecting was really just after he bought this house so in the 1820s when this house had been completely refurbished yeah um so today when we sit here Mm. in the waterloo gallery this is the 1830s extension to the house that was built by the duke's architect because the duke really felt that the rest of the house was a bit too small and he needed a nice entertaining space somewhere to throw his parties and have his banquets and somewhere to display his collection so um, i'd be happy with a party here (laughs) so this is it this is the party Mm. room um of apsley house and it is a really spectacular room and as you can see now today because it's near Christmas um, we're in December uh, we have our lovely Christmas decorations up very subtle hopefully quite authentic although we have no true records of what actually happened here at Christmas uh, in the first Duke's time this is the first time you've opened this is the first time yeah that we've stayed open to Christmas so we thought that we would like to decorate the house (laughs) uh, and we've kept it very subtle and very tasteful, but it mm. all looks um, really beautiful. It does yeah. look beautiful. And the red goes with, obviously, the red of the room. Yes, yes, yeah. Very, it's not wallpaper, very is it? It's kind of wallpaper. Silk, 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 yeah. <laughs> silk wallpaper coverings, oh, wow. yeah. So it does, yeah. Mm. And we've really, um, we've really not gone to town. There's no bling here. There's no tinsels. You won't find any, any tinsels or bling, but it's very subtle. It's and um, very elegant, yeah, exactly. And in the gallery, at either end, mm. um, we have these fabulous Siberian porphyry tall chairs. Now, tall chairs are tall lights, standing lights. These are wonderful. And they, these are your underrated objects? These are very much are underrated because, you know, as you quite rightly said, that it's this is a stunning room and there's so many fantastic works of art in here that it would be easy to miss these tall shares mm. um, but once you start looking at them they are fabulous the Russians of course were renowned for their work with this kind of hard stone carving of this hard stone um, these were made for the Winter Palace the Hermitage as we know it now the Hermitage Museum Um, But because Wellington was in St. Petersburg in 1826 Mm. as a guest of the Russians, because he was the British representative at the funeral of Tsar Alexander I, and they gave him some very nice diplomatic gifts. And just as he was leaving, uh, the new Tsar, Tsar Nicholas, whom he'd actually met in London when Nicholas was a prince, so he knew him, decided to give him these fabulous tour shares. It's the only place in the UK you will see 
these porphyry tall shares they are unique to apsey house but however if you go to saint petersburg today and go to the hermitage you'll see lots of them well and two other pairs one Mm. very similar to this and then one not so similar Mm. they are of a particular time and a particular taste but um what what we've done with them is kind of garlanded them in (laughs) lovely red silk ribbons so they're looking very festive today very festive could you describe them i mean yeah yeah. they're so they're sort of up bright pillars almost of mm. that made of this dark uh, colored porphyry mm. with a beautiful uh, brass decoration and at the top they have what looks like a chandelier on top <laughs> yeah. that's the only way I can describe mm. it um, and of course they would have been candles when they were first made they've been yeah. converted to electricity but you would have had these to light your gallery and they absolutely perfectly light the gallery so yeah very think about them as a very very big standard lamp (laughs) yeah no they must be about eight foot right yeah i think they're probably more they're probably closer to about 10 foot yeah top to bottom yeah the substantial things and and the brass uh, sort of decor it's kind of I would want to say they're not sphinxes. They're kind well, of these weird lions. With yeah, they're sort of griffin-like <laughs> figures, um, these mythological figures. Mm. Um, but they're very strange because they're just at the corners. Mm. So you get this kind of partial view of them with one paw. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're very, very odd um, things. But, yeah, they're, they're just such beautiful objects. They really are. Um, and I can't quite imagine this gallery without them, but mm. they are very unusual items. But very. yeah, they, they kind of, they fit it, so you would just walk past them. And you just would. Like, this is the lighting arrangement. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but they are absolutely stunning, they, they really are. So is, is the material they're made out of really rare as well? Um, it's probably not that rare because Russia, you know, was famed for its hard stone. Mm. Um, Porphyry was also carved in Sweden. We also have these big vases standing here, which are Swedish porphyry. Mm. Um, So it's a hard stone that's particular to certain places Mm. in the world. So fairly unusual. I mean, you wouldn't find it, I don't think you'd find it here in great, great amounts. But it was a particular thing um, at the end of the 18th and early 19th century, these great carvings out of porphyry. Very Mm. popular. But yeah, yeah, very unusual, really. And presumably, yeah, as hard stone, quite hard to carve. Incredibly difficult to carve. This mm. is where the Russians really showed their skill. Yeah, wow. so very yeah. Russian. Very, very, skill. yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, the the royals saw Wellington eyeing them up and thought, perfect, <laughs> perfect gift. I think they were just trying to give him some impressive gifts. And as they knew that he had a house that he was mm. refurbishing and extending, yeah. they probably thought this would be a great kind of housewarming gift yeah. for him. Because, mm. of course, when these uh, when these arrived here, the Waterloo Gallery wasn't built. Oh, okay. So... Obviously, the minute the Waterloo Gallery was built, the architect thought, yes, that's the place for them. They wouldn't really go anywhere else in the house. They'd be completely dominant, Mm. wouldn't they? Um, But they look perfect here, absolutely perfect. So when did they come over here? I think they they were shipped after he left, so probably about 1827 they Mm. arrived here. So that was just just before this started to be built. Yeah, Ah, yeah. So I'm imagining a massive storeroom of all his gifts while he's waiting for his uh, wing to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that was that was the case actually that he had to store things elsewhere. Of course, by 1828, when this room was starting to be built, he was prime minister, 
And although he didn't live at Downing Street, he did move out into Downing Street while this room was being built because the mm. building's works must have been horrendous. You couldn't have lived here yeah. while this was being built, this massive uh, addition to the house. It, the, just to give you a, um, a, an idea of its size, I mean, it runs the whole west side of the house. And I don't know what it is in metres, but I know that it is 90 feet long. So it's a really impressive gallery, um, you know, and made a, a really spectacular place to eat or, you yeah. know, have a ball or, and this is very much what Wellington did. Again, people often think of Wellington as this being rather aloof sort of military figure, but he loved parties. He's very genial man. <laughs> uh, he loved getting together with his friends and Apsey House was very much an entertaining space for him. Yeah. So the rooms that the public see are really the entertaining rooms of the house. Yeah. You know, they're the rooms that Wellington would have entertained all his friends and guests mm. in. Mm. So that's it's it does have that feel about it. You know, it's very it's very gold, it's very, you know, beautifully done with all his fabulous paintings. And this was again, you know, a lovely way of sort of just showing off, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Showing off his, <laughs> his collection to people mm. and when they came to be entertained at his parties. But he was very well known for his parties. And, of course, every year on the 18th of June, he held the famous Waterloo Banquet, got together all the officers that fought at Waterloo. Um, and when this room was completed, um, he moved the, the Waterloo Banquet in here and you could mm. see 80 people at a table in here yeah. so they became very glitzy affairs with mm. 80 people sitting down to desire to dine and really uh, he held one every year apart from one year but every year from 1820 to the year that he died 1852 so wow. every year there was a waterloo banquet here the tall chairs are quite big and heavy how do they fit in around putting a massive table with 80 plus guests well what they did was very clever and um, they didn't move the tall chairs because as you can imagine being made of hard stone they're going to weigh a ton so what you do is the section of table that by your tall chair all you do is you cut like a collar out so you have two sections of the table you cut like a half moon shape out you fit it around the tall chair so that when you're sat at the table you just see what looks like a massive candelabra <laughs> and the rest of it's hidden underneath and you would never know it was there because oh, wow. the table would be covered with a tablecloth, you'd be miles away from it because it was a big banqueting table. So you would never see the bottom of the tall chair. But it, it was a great device because it just meant that you didn't have to move the tall chairs to have a banquet. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a wonderful painting showing There's how a they fabulous painting, yeah. yeah, upstairs in the portico room, um, painted by William Salter of the banquet happening in 1836. And you can see it on there. And it does look like the tall chairs are sitting on top of the table. But if you look again, you'll see that most of them are missing and they're under the table, of course. <laughs> they're brilliant. That's very ingenious DIY going on. Yeah. Do we have any record of what he maybe thought about these um, tall chairs? He didn't often comment, mm. strangely enough, um, on gifts that he was given. Mm. We know that, for example, he was given lots of big dinner services, mm. the biggest one being the Prussian service, which was given to him in 1817 from the King of Prussia mm. as a thank you, because all the yeah. royal heads of Europe wanted to send him gifts after Waterloo. We know that he 
he didn't record what he what was said about it but what he did do is once it arrived here he had it laid up on a table in here in the Waterloo Gallery for all his friends to see <laughs> so he must have thought that it was a, a really impressive thing yeah. um, which indeed it is an incredibly impressive dinner service but he was given so many things after Waterloo mm. and the beauty of Apsley House is that we still have most of those gifts here yeah. for the public to see mm. so you know that is the great thing about Apsley House that people don't realize when they walk past it but inside is a wonderfully uh, intact early 19th century collection mm. of one of the most famous men in Europe I know. and it's still yeah. here yeah I mean given how I just fancy this interior looks it makes the exterior which even though it is a grand standalone building in London seem quite muted yeah, <laughs> yeah inside, absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah mm. it's it's got this really jewel-like quality um you know it's it's just I wouldn't call it a hidden gem because I don't think we're hidden because we're stood on <laughs> right on High Park Corner but I yeah. think yet pe a lot of people are yet to discover mm. you know what's inside here and how beautiful it is yeah I, I think the thing about Apsley House there's probably something for everybody yeah you know, there's a lot for people who are fascinated by the first Duke, and there's a lot for people who just love coming into historic spaces because it's a lovely space, and there's a huge amount for people who are into paintings. <laughs> so we like to try and think that we cater for everybody. And I think that once people get in, they may come with just a notion of wanting to look at some really nice paintings by Velasquez, but... Mm. then they'll get caught up in other things and they'll realize there are lots of other great paintings there's a fabulous room downstairs on the ground floor the museum room which is full of you know ceramics and silver all the things that the duke was given we've got the dining room where we've got the fabulous portuguese um, centerpiece on the dining table which again is a unique thing that was made for Wellington after the Peninsular Wars in Spain and Portugal, made by the Portuguese nation for him, designed for him. So I think that once people come in, they're often quite amazed at yeah. what's in here. Yeah, I feel like he gets given a lot of things and uh, he hasn't bought many of the things. <laughs> he, he was given a lot of things, but I think a lot of his, he did collect and commission quite a lot of paintings. Mm. And obviously furniture as well. He, he bought a lot of furniture in the 1820s from sales in Paris. So he did, he did have to furnish his houses. Um, so he did buy a lot of things. But I think he was incredibly fortunate to be given a sort of kickstart. It's, of, like, it's uh, like every celebrity, they get yeah, lots of freebies. Exactly, so, so. to be given a little bit of a kickstart with these Spanish <laughs> paintings. Yeah, definitely. Very, oh. very fortunate man. Yeah. yeah. And uh, fitting for Christmas, all his presents uh, here. In yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The whole house could just have a big ribbon around it, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's so beautiful here. It is okay. a beautiful well, house. Well, um, clearly, listeners will need to take advantage of your extended opening hours. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So many hidden treasures. Absolutely. Especially these lovely, massive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. If they learn nothing else, at least they can come in and admire, admire the tour shares and admire the wonderful uh, and uh, Canova at the bottom of the stairs and admire the beautiful paintings. But mm. yeah, it's a fabulous house. Everyone, everyone should make a visit to Apsley House, I think. Definitely. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Today. You're very welcome.
Okay, so I mean, obviously, this podcast is normally about objects that people can walk past, <laughs> but in the spirit of Christmas, and because there is no missing this object, it'd be very lovely to hear a bit more about this giant naked man that's currently <laughs> stood in front of us. Yeah, uh, we can't miss him. We definitely can't miss him. Uh, this is the Emperor Napoleon by Antonia Canova. And it was actually commissioned by um, Napoleon. And I think Canova did quite a good sales pitch with him because Canova at that time wanted to sculpt a classically inspired giant statue. Um, So he got Napoleon to agree to this. He went away to Rome, he sculpted it. It took him nearly five years to make. When it was shipped to Paris and unveiled in front of Napoleon, Napoleon hated it really hated it. Now you may be surprised at that because I would suspect that if most men were presented with this statue and said look it's you they probably would have said wow there's me as a muscle-bound classical god. Great six-pack It's a great six-pack six yeah exactly <laughs> very beautifully delineated muscles. Mm. Uh, it's a fabulous uh, piece of sculpture you know Canova's really pulled out all the stops here. Um, but Napoleon just took against it and it was never put on display and then after Waterloo when all the victorious armies march into Paris after Napoleon's defeated one of the things they do is they uh, they want to recover a lot of their stolen artworks that have been taken by Napoleon and his armies mm. and of course the Louvre or the Musée Napoleon as it was called then <laughs> um, was staffed with things including this but not on public display and at one moment Antonio Canova reappears in Paris and would quite like to buy it back but he was outbid by the British government who eventually buy it there's all sorts of plans for it, but none of them come to fruition, so it ends up being given mm. uh, tantamount to a royal gift, really, to Wellington. And, of course, <laughs> what does he do with it? I mean, it's colossal. It's not designed to be at the bottom of a staircase in a townhouse. Mm. Definitely not. Um, it's quite inappropriate. However, what happens in the 1820s is that the Duke's architect builds this wonderful staircase around the Napoleon um, and really expands his space. So at least he's got a little bit of room to breathe, Mm. but it's a very unlikely setting for what is one of the most impressive pieces of neoclassical sculpture in Europe. Is it quite weird to have such a flattering statue of someone you've conquered (laughs) it's quite strange in a way yes absolutely and I'm sure that probably if given the choice the Duke might not have chosen this however there's two factors here one is the growing popularity of Canova yeah quite choice to have (laughs) in your collection and two there must be an element of having something that's so important as an artwork which shows the vanquished Napoleon yeah. in your own house. Mm. You know, as you lead your guests up the beautiful staircase to dinner, yes. you can point out, here is Napoleon. Mm. He looks like a god, but I defeated him at Waterloo. Exactly, exactly. So a, um, yeah. There must have been an element of that. But I think, you know, whatever we think now, um, um, and we think it, we do still think it looks quite odd here. We are so lucky to have this in our collection, Mm. to have such an important work of art here 
at Apsley House um, for everyone to see. Yeah, it's it's like the um, statue of dying Gaul from classical times. Yeah, where you know you you show Absolutely. your enemies in a, a beautiful light to emphasise how well you've done. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Well, very good analogy. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I think that you know here you have the Emperor Napoleon as as Mars, the peacekeeper. That was the guise as a god. Mm. You know this godly figure. But uh, I think he was probably a little bit taken aback with the end results. But, yeah. And he carries in his hand this little... Winged this victory. Winged victory, yeah, <laughs> not Nike. Yeah, yeah, winged victory. So again, it's, you know, it's got some really interesting symbolism for a, for a defeated mm. emperor. Wow. So the, the, this whole spiral entranceway is built around Yeah, around this the... was around, built around him because the original staircase would have only reached as far as the first floor. It mm. would have been a very delicate Robert Adam, because this house was originally a Robert Adam house, mm. a very delicate Robert Adam um, pilastered staircase. And then Benjamin Dean Wyatt, the Duke, first Duke's architect, built this fabulous staircase, mm. um, you know, which we have decorated. <laughs> Um, for Christmas um, so we didn't quite decorate him but he is surrounded by <laughs> Christmas garlands Aww. Napoleon is surrounded by Christmas garlands <laughs> oh gosh he could probably do with a bit more cover on his body maybe but <laughs> yeah poss- possibly possibly but I think that'd be a bit of a sin to cover that up with, yeah. don't you think yeah maybe yeah. oh brilliant well thanks so much for telling uh, the story welcome. behind this <laughs>